Thanks for joining us today. I'm Rob Parker, lead pastor at The Plant Church. Our vision is to know Christ and make him known. If you are interested in getting connected or if we can help you in any way, email us at info at theplantchurch.org. you have a Bible, open up with me to Galatians chapter 5, starting in verse 16. Um, this is where we have been all summer long. We've been going through uh, a, a series on the fruit of the Spirit. And, and one thing before we get into reading this again that I, I just want to stress again, and I, I feel like I can't say this enough because it took me years for this to click in my own brain, so I, and I still forget sometimes, that when we read this, when I'm reading to you things like love, joy, peace, patience, here's what I don't want you to do. I don't want you to sit there with your checklist and go, okay, now I need to be more loving. Oh my gosh, I have to be more joyful now. And I have to be more peaceful, and there's no way I can be more patient. Forget that one. I'm just going to skip that one. Um, it, it's not fruits. It's, like, it's not multiple fruits of the Spirit, and we get to pick which ones we want. This is one fruit, one harvest of the Spirit. And when we are living life with the Holy Spirit, hear me, He starts to produce this fruit in our lives. So as we're living life with him, there are things he challenges us on. Man, I've been challenged with some of these so much. I honestly, we're going to talk about goodness today. I've been maybe more challenged on goodness than some of these other ones. Uh, I've been challenged a lot with, with joy as well. Uh, but, but these are ones where you, where you look at them and you say, Holy Spirit, how am I resisting this happening in my life? And so a lot of times when it comes to the fruit of the Spirit, please hear me, this is not a behavior checklist. Uh, I want to make sure I'm seeing this out of you or else. Uh, we call that uh, a bounded set model uh, of, of doing church or doing life where everyone's got to tick the boxes off. Uh, what we're talking about is, is called uh, what we call a centered set. And centered set means we're all looking towards Jesus, we're all remaining in Jesus, and there are things in our lives that Jesus is working on in us, in community, and we're helping each other grow closer and closer to him and become more like Jesus. Does that make sense? That makes sense. I just, I can't stress that enough um, that it, it pains me when people are like overwhelmed with like, how do I do all that? And, and, and it's much more about remaining connected to Jesus. This is a lifetime of growth. It is not a light switch that we flick and suddenly it's all just happening. So don't fake it. If you're not peaceful, pray that that fruit be produced. Ask God what he needs to do. If you're not walking in kindness, pray that that gets uh, manifested in your life. Ask God, what are the things that I'm resistant to that are keeping this from keeping me from having this show in my life? Does that make sense? We walk with the Spirit, and the Spirit leads us and empowers us. So with that being said, uh, let's read together Galatians 5, verses 16 through 22. So I say, let the Holy Spirit guide your lives. Then you won't be doing what your sinful nature craves. The sinful nature wants to do evil, which is just the opposite of what the Spirit wants. And the Spirit gives us desires that are the opposite of what the sinful nature desires. These two forces are constantly fighting each other, so you are not free to carry out your good intentions. 
But when you are directed by the Spirit, you are not under obligation to the law of Moses. When you follow the desire of your sinful nature, the results are very clear. Sexual immorality, impurity, lustful pleasures, idolatry, sorcery, hostility, quarreling, jealousy, outbursts of anger, selfish ambition, dissension, division, envy, drunkenness, wild parties, and other sins like these. Let me tell you again, as I have before, that anyone living that sort of life will not inherit the kingdom of God. But the Holy Spirit produces this kind of fruit in our lives. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. And there is no law against these things. Let's pray. Holy Spirit, I I just ask that we continue to sense the tenderness of the Father that we were uh, experiencing there at the end of worship. I ask that, that it is the kindness of the Lord that would lead us to repentance. I ask that we would just, just sense his, his, his desire to be near to us today. And that, that would draw us near to him. And that we begin to produce this kind of fruit in our lives. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Um, how many of you are thankful the heat wave is over? Anyone thankful the heat wave is over? I don't like the heat when it's not quite that bad, so that was terrible. If I was not submerged in water, I was not going to set foot outside of my house or outside of my office. I just wasn't going to do it. Uh, We would run out to the car, get in the air-conditioned car to transport ourselves to another air-conditioned space, and that was basically like the last few weeks of July and early part of August. Um, I I think I read somewhere that the, I think it was the end of July, those last couple weeks when it was brutally hot, uh, were the hottest nights on record in the United States. Isn't that crazy? Hottest night, like, did you ever, because usually I can go outside at night We live near a lake. There's a little bit of a cool breeze. There's some relief when you go out at night, right? That didn't happen. It was just constant hell. That's the only way I can describe it. It was terribly hot. Just not a huge fan of it. But how much did you love when you've been outside? Maybe you had to mow your lawn or do some yard work or just just walk from your car to the house. It was even bad enough. You're outside for any length of time. How good did it feel when you opened that door to your house and you stepped into the air conditioning? Wasn't that the best feeling ever? Oh my goodness. I don't, I can't believe I just heard someone doesn't use air conditioning. That's okay. I can't do that. I, I will have a medical condition or something. It'll be bad. It'll be really bad. But, but you know what I'm talking about. When you walk from, from the heavy kind of weight of that wet, hot air, there's no other way to describe it, and you step into an air-conditioned space, you feel what? Cooler? You feel relief? You feel a sense of, oh, I can like hear myself think again. It, it just feels like you didn't realize how bad it was until that cool air hits you, and then you go, wow, 
I can't believe I was out in that. This is amazing. This feels so much better. In, in many ways, I think our world right now, our culture right now, is kind of like the heat wave we just experienced. Let me explain what I mean. Um, we're in a world that feels increasingly unpredictable. Uh, people are fearful. People are rage-filled, hateful. Uh, does it feel like people are, there's a little more chaos to you? Like, there's some selfishness going on. You can nod your head or give me something. Like, are you, are you with me? You don't have to just fake it and agree. You can be like, that's not true. Everything's fine. It's, it's a bit of a crazy world right now, isn't it? I, I, it seems like there's, there's some kind of uh, thing going on where it just seems like the temperature in conversations and relationships and workplaces and all these different dynamics around the world right now, uh, the temperature just kind of keeps going up and up and up and up. And into this kind of space, I, I think we need to figure out what it could look like to air condition the world around us, if that makes sense. To, to suddenly allow ourselves and other people to get hit with cool, refreshing air that relieves us, that calms us, that, that helps us think clearly again, that relaxes us. You know what I'm talking about? Wouldn't that be amazing if, if in the, the vitriol and the craziness that's happening all around us, we could have that kind of coolness relieve the weariness that we're experiencing right now. I, I think uh, goodness, which is what we're going to be talking about today, is part of how God is wanting to position you and I as his followers to cool the air around us right now. You've got workplace conflict, family conflict, financial challenges, other kinds of things you're wrestling through, uh, bigger things in the culture, wh whatever uh, it might be that's particularly in your life that feels like the heat is rising and rising. And what if goodness could be at work in your life and you could be not only experiencing the goodness of God, but embodying the goodness of God in such a way that it, it, was just, it would just be relieving and refreshing all of the people around you and lowering the temperature in our neighborhoods, our families, our workplaces, culture, all these things. What do you think? Sound good to you? It's a pipe dream? I don't know. What do I mean when I say goodness? How can goodness do that? Here's uh, this, similar to uh, what Jess said last week. How many of you loved Jess Truen's message last week on kindness? That was awesome, wasn't it? That was so good. Um, similar to how she talked about kindness, goodness, when we talk about goodness, we don't mean niceness. Uh, because that's, when we start thinking about kindness and goodness as niceness, then we go, how is that going to help the insanity that marks our world right now. Because it just seems, it feels like if I'm going to be nice, people are just going to walk all over me. Isn't that what it seems like? I've got to hold my own here. So goodness is different than 
niceness. When, when you and I say something good nowadays, what tends to come to mind? Niceness, right? But there's something else that I, I always think about when it comes to this. For instance, if someone asks you how that meal was at that great restaurant you went to, if you just reply, good, it was good, what would that mean to you? What would that imply to the person asking you the question? The meal was good. Yeah, it was mediocre, right? It was fine. It was good. It wasn't bad, but it wasn't like amazing. Think about like a performance review at your job or uh, uh, maybe you're taking a survey. Sometimes there's maybe three to five different ratings that you can uh, answer for, for the response that you're looking for. Sometimes you might see something like this. Uh, was it poor? Was it good? Or was it excellent? It really implies that good is kind of, it's average. Good is average. Fair? That's kind of what comes into my mind when I think of good. Good always just seems to imply it's fine, could be worse, could be better. But when we're reading the Bible, we can't read goodness and see fine, average. This is an underrated word that has so much meaning and impact for us. There's a whole lot more to goodness. Appreciate that, Johnny. There's a whole lot more to this than, than just being nice or being average. When something in, in Scripture, when you're reading in the Bible, when it says something is good or it's displaying goodness, it means that something here is being displayed that is part of the most amazing attributes of who God actually is. When something's good, something is of an exceptional quality. It, it's of God's own character. Uh, there, there's the, the word that's used for good or goodness in, in the Greek New Testament is, is agathos or agathusain. And it literally means a goodness that is generous and it's benevolent and it's kind and considerate and forgiving. It goes out of its way to consider other people's best interests. That's what goodness is. One commentator by the name of John Thornton said this, goodness is a God-like attribute that finds pleasure in diffusing happiness. It is the gospel embodied. Think about that. Finding pleasure in diffusing happiness. In a world that is increasingly anxious, worried, fearful, hateful, selfish, greedy, unempathetic, unforgiving, uh, what would it be like to embody the gospel in this way? To be someone who found pleasure in diffusing happiness to those around you. Any of you essential oil users? I, I don't really know much about essential oils. You have like those diffusers. You know those diffusers? And, and you put in your favorite essential oils. See, I should have asked someone who knows more about what they're doing before I use this as an illustration. But you, you put them in there and it's basically kind of like putting that oil out into the atmosphere of your home, your office, wherever you're using that diffuser. You, you imagine goodness being like that. You, you just are filled with the goodness of the Spirit, and you're just diffusing goodness into the atmosphere all day. So you might not totally be able to quite pinpoint why something's so awesome or why you're drawn somewhere, but there's just goodness in the atmosphere. There, there's someone that is 
intentionally or a group of people that are intentionally going out of their way, we're going to even say tripping over themselves, to think of others before themselves, to be considerate, to be generous, to be benevolent. They're intending to find light and joy in diffusing happiness, to embody the gospel everywhere they are. Goodness is finding pleasure in diffusing happiness. I really believe that goodness is so underrated, folks. Goodness is so underrated. This is not niceness. This is an aggressive, subversive way of toppling a world filled with self-focus, self-righteousness, self-judgment, all of the other self-focused words you can put together. It's an aggressive, Jesus-shaped, kingdom-shaped way to flip the heat and the tension and the conflict of this world on its head and diffuse a beautiful aroma into the world around us. How good does that sound to you? Who wants to be a part of that? It's so refreshing. I find myself drawn to these kinds of environments and these kinds of people all the time. I was with a group of people recently um, that I know pretty well. And as I was spending time with them, I I found myself feeling quite miserable. And and I realized I was feeling quite miserable. and, And I couldn't quite pinpoint it at first. I was like, man, like... Why am I not enjoying this? Like, why does it feel like the temperature's going up and and everyone's kind of annoyed with each other and being snippy? What's going on? And I realized pretty quickly that there was no goodness being lived out and embodied. No one was going out of their way to enjoy diffusing happiness. No one was being generous with their words, their actions, their time, their money. Kind of everyone was talking about themselves and doing their own thing and focusing on what was best for them. There was generally just kind of quite a sense that there was nothing good happening in that space. It was a little bit demoralizing. I didn't enjoy myself. You've been in environments like that? You know what I'm talking about? Where you're like, this is toxic. That's what the kids are saying these days. It's toxic. It's toxic. Um, so, so that wasn't that great. But, but on the flip side of that, how many of you have been in environments and around people, and when you're with these people or around these people or with these groups of people or in these environments, there's just such a sense of generosity that actually inspires you to start being more generous. And I don't just mean money generous, I just mean everything generous. You're more wanting to compliment other people. That's what I mean by being generous with your words. You're wanting to encourage people. You're, you're speaking thoughtfully towards others. You're kind of interested in what's happening in their life. It's not always about you. Uh, you're generous with your time, your money, your preferences. I don't mind if I don't get my choice this time. I'm happy to do what you want to do this time. Whatever it is. I, I was uh, recently... Um, this past Friday, actually, we went with friends to a restaurant, and it's owned by someone that um, uh, we're an acquaintance of, my wife and I, but we're not, like, particularly close or anything. Uh, and as we're at this, this person's restaurant with our friends, we could not order any food or drinks. Things just started coming to the table from this acquaintance of ours, who's the owner of the restaurant. And we were floored at his generosity, at his goodness. And then, and here's really what got me more than anything, he came and pulled up a chair and sat down at our table for 20 minutes. 
not talking about himself, just chatting, sharing stories, sharing uh, just things happening in life, talking about this and that and the other thing. And it it just struck me at how inspired I was after this to want to be more like this guy. Something about his goodness in that moment, whether he knows it or not, I don't know if he follows Jesus or not, but whether he knows it or not, there was something God was doing through him to bring goodness into that space and in that moment. You ever been around people like that where you're just like, I want to be more generous like them. Not just because they give free food, but like because you're like, man, that was just such a gift. I want to give that gift to people. You know what I'm talking about? That goodness is amazing. And, and again, when you're in an environment where it feels like there's more conflict, people focusing on themselves, the temperature's rising and rising, when goodness comes into that space, when goodness comes out of you, I think we're having some trouble here. Help me out. Uh, when, when goodness is coming from you, coming from God, people don't even realize how hot it's been. Do they? They're just hit with that cold air and they go, what was that? I want that. What was that? Can I have more of that, please? So where does this goodness come from? Where does goodness come from How do we experience this? How do we embody goodness? Jesus put it this way, very simply. Only God is truly good in Mark 10, 18. Only God is truly good. So if we're going to know and learn what goodness is, it probably means we need to know more about who God is and get close to God. Does that make sense to you? Only God is truly good. And then we're going to be able to learn how the Holy Spirit wants to empower us to live out and embody this goodness. So very quickly, I just want to talk about God's goodness to us and then how we embody goodness. First, have you ever thought of God as good? Have you ever thought of God as good? He's a good guy. Yeah. Have you ever thought of, I love this, I heard this recently. Have you ever thought of God as like the well-meaning middle-class dad who can't quite afford everything that you need? So it's like, you know, he's generous, but like he can only do so much. You ever think of God that way? I heard someone say that and I was like, wow, that's really how I think of God. That's not who God is. God, as the, the, the scriptures say, owns the cattle on a thousand hills. By the way, for ancient people, that's a lot of money. God is more wealthy than eight Jeff Bezoses. Got one. That's okay. God is exceptionally good, and and he wants to use every resource at his disposal for your good. Because he loves you. Sometimes I don't always think of God as good. And that gets me in trouble. A.W. Tozer famously said, What comes into your mind when you think about God is the most important thing about you. What comes into your mind when you think about God is the most important thing about you. Here's what he means. When you think about God, if you primarily think about God as someone who is angry, as the cosmic killjoy, whatever you want to think about him as, if there's something else that's a competing narrative about who God is, that's going to shape the way you interact with God. So if God's angry, 
but you know maybe he kind of holds eternity in his hands and like I got to kind of be on his good side. You're going to do just enough to kind of like appease him, but then you're going to kind of keep your distance because he's angry. Anyone of you ever find your faith that looks like that? Like I'll do just enough, but I'm going to kind of keep my distance because he's angry. But what would happen if we didn't think of God primarily as angry, but as good? What if he's primarily good? If God's good, how would you think about spending time with him? How would you think about things that are happening in your life? How would you trust him differently when he's calling you to do something that's difficult? If he's primarily good, what changes about how you relate to him and live your life? Now, it can be hard to think about God as primarily good, and I've wrestled with this myself all the time. Like, what about all of the bad things that happen in the world, right? If God's good, why are bad things happening? It's a classic question. People have written huge volumes on this, so I'm not anticipating to answer everything uh, to that question, but two very brief answers to that. First, not everything that happens is caused by God. God is not a control freak. What does that mean? He gives you and I free will to make choices. And sometimes we make wise decisions. Other times we don't make wise decisions. And every single one of us lives with consequences of decisions. And there's, there's more complicated nuance to that. But not everything is happening because God, God's will One of the worst things you can say to someone when they have a tragedy in their life is, well, you know, you can take comfort knowing this was God's will. Don't say that, please. (laughs) My little pastoral slap you upside the head. Don't say that, please. No, I love you. But here's why you don't want to say that. Because some things happen that God's not on board with. People make terrible decisions and it affects people. But God loves each of us enough to not be a controlling father. So he's not going to dictate and tell us exactly what we need to do all the time and force us to do something. He wants to guide us into truth, but he's going to let us make our own decision. So not everything that happens is God will. So that's part of why God can be good, but bad things still happen in the world. And there's much more complicated things than that. I realize this is a huge question. We're not going deep on that because it's a totally different sermon but I needed to hit it briefly. Second, second answer to this and, about, and think about this. Um, sometimes there are things that we believe are, are bad in our lives. They're uh, uncomfortable, painful, uh, but actually what we might need to do is reframe what goodness means. So sometimes things happen and it's not God's will. Terrible tragedies, all sorts of things like that. Sickness, all of these things, not God's will. Other times, we might believe that something is bad or uncomfortable or painful, uh, but it's actually good for us. And we need to recognize, am I trying to define what's good or am I allowing God to define what's good? We have so much brokenness in us as humans. So much brokenness. I, I, I find myself sometimes deceiving or trying to deceive myself to think my intentions are sometimes more pure than they are. Honestly, and, and I, I bet every one of us can say the same. Uh, we, we are constantly trying to rationalize things we want to do a lot of times. And, and, and so we have so much brokenness in us that we might consider something really good 
We, we might even say this is a gift from God. We might even overly spiritualize it. And God's saying, actually, I really don't think that's good for you. I, in fact, I, I created you. I know that's not good for you. That's, that's harming your life. And, and so there might be seasons where in, in our discipleship journey, our formation journey as we're becoming like Jesus, that Jesus might want to put you in a position where you're starting to like have to wrestle with those things and surrender those things. And it might be very painful. We might think it's bad. We might even be praying to God and rebuking it and going crazy and who knows what kind of thing we'll be doing and prophesying and, and getting all crazy trying to rebuke this thing. And it's actually God saying, this needs to die if you want to truly live. And so we sometimes need to reframe what's good and what's bad because we've for so long tried to frame good and evil on our terms instead of God's. That's the whole kind of thing in the tree of, uh, or the Garden of Eden, the tree of life or the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Are we going to eat from life, from God's life, or are we going to try and decide for ourselves what good and evil is? Who's going to define what's what? God or us? And it can be really uncomfortable and even painful when God's trying to remove those things from our lives, but it does not mean he's any less good. <laughs> My daughter just this morning, one-year-old daughter, she um, apparently, we're like, I think I was getting ready. I was in the bathroom. Jillian's doing something with Harper. And I just, all of a sudden hear Jillian, oh my gosh. And she runs out. And, and she just had like come out and stepped out into the dining area and Phoebe had pushed her high chair over to a set of light switches that she liked to play with, climbed her high chair and she was standing there playing with the lights in a very precarious position, could have like fallen off, hurt her head. And then so Jillian grabbed her, took her off and wouldn't you know it, as soon as Phoebe got down off of there, Phoebe was saying, oh, thanks mom. I know that was really good for me, what you just did. No, that's not what she did. She was crying hysterically because she wanted to stay up there and flick the light switches. She thought it was really good for her, but her wise mother knew much better that she's not balanced enough yet standing to be able to be up there playing with the light switches. It doesn't mean God's any less good. How many of you love the Chronicles of Narnia the, the story is the lion, the witch, and the wardrobe, C.S. Lewis classic, and the children are in Narnia, and they're about to meet Aslan, who C.S. Lewis wrote as this depiction of, of God, and they're worried about meeting Aslan, and the kids ask the beavers, uh, yes, the beavers, uh, this made it into a sermon, apparently, um, and, and they, ask, they ask him, he's a lion, is he safe? And the beavers kind of laugh, they're like, no, he's a lion, he's not safe, are you crazy? He, who said anything about safe? Of course he's not safe but he's good. Elsewhere, writing on the goodness of God, C.S. Lewis says this, what do people mean when they say, I'm not afraid of God because I know he's good? Have they never been to the dentist? How many of you love the dentist? It's your favorite place to go. You dream about going back every six months. Can't wait. I think I'm due in October. Um, it's uncomfortable getting your teeth cleaned. It's uncomfortable. And my, my dental hygienist, she's amazing. Uh, but man, she really scrapes the plaque off of my front teeth on the inside, right near the gum where it's most sensitive. And it's so uncomfortable and slightly painful every time. But you know what? It's good. It's good. Because gum disease ain't no joke, kids. It's not good to get gum disease, right? 
but it's painful to avoid the disease, isn't it? So we might need to reframe what goodness means, but it does not mean that God is any less good. Old Testament. Old Testament. I I was just talking with someone in our church last week. They're reading the Old Testament, and they're like, it's intense. The, The general thing that people think of uh, the common, common misconception about the Old Testament is, oh, God in the Old Testament's really angry. But then Jesus came and he's like, okay, I won't be angry anymore, is the New Testament. Anyone kind of, that's like the general sense that you had maybe growing up or in church. That, that, that kind of like what, what I wrestled with a lot. But here's some scripture from the Old Testament. Get this. This is the one we read this morning, 1 Chronicles 16, 34. Give thanks to the Lord, for he is good. His faithful love endures forever. Elsewhere in the Old Testament, the book of Deuteronomy. The book of Deuteronomy, by the way, it is literally just Moses. It's one long speech, all 32-something chapters. And he's literally just repeating every single law in Exodus and Leviticus that the Israelites already heard. Okay, do this, don't do this, or it's going to go badly for you. Do this, don't do this, 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 the other thing. So it's like we're thinking, okay, here's the cosmic killjoy God coming in again. Get this, 14 times in that book of Deuteronomy, God is described as good, or he is about to pour out, I'll use the word dump, tons of really good gifts on his people. 14 times in that book doesn't matter whether you're reading the Old Testament, the New Testament, experiencing God today. God's the same yesterday, today, forever. Old Testament, New Testament, today. God is a very good God. Uh, James 1.17 in the New Testament says, Whatever is good and perfect is a gift coming down to us from our God our Father, our creator, who created all the lights in the heavens. He never changes or casts a shifting shadow. And Jesus himself, he said this, you parents, if your children ask for a loaf of bread, do you give them a stone instead? Or if you ask for a fish, do you give them a snake? Of course you don't. Do any of you do that? I'd be concerned. If you're a parent and you do that, let's meet. That's just a joke, guys. So if, if you sinful people, Jesus goes on to say, know how to give good gifts to your kids, how much more will your heavenly Father give good gifts to those who ask him? Are you guys detecting a theme here? God is very good. Friends, I want to say this. Hear me. Are you listening? You promise? I'm not even kidding. Like, if you don't hear anything else, I want you to hear this this morning. I really mean it. God wants to pour out goodness into your life that overcomes the rage, that overcomes anxiety, fear, doubt, selfishness, unforgiveness. He wants to pour out goodness that can overcome all of those things. But if we see God as anything other than good, we won't want what he's offering for a second. We won't be able to receive any of it. We're not gonna think it's good for us. But he's very good. As we said earlier today, come home to the Father. He has so much goodness for you to experience. 
I don't even have time to go into all the stories I could tell uh, about my own life and about other people, about how good they've literally experienced God's goodness. The Psalms say, taste and see that the Lord is good. That's an experience. I remember, I think I've told this story before, a little boy we were praying, praying with, a baby, he had none of the bones in his inner ear. And, and he'd, hearing test after hearing test, he'd, he'd failed. There's no hearing. And he was going back the following Monday for his final test before they fit him with cochlear implants. A group of us prayed for his healing. That Monday, he goes in for his test and he had a full range of hearing. His total hearing, he's much older now, this was several years ago, but this boy hears and, and speaks and no problem. I remember even little things that you think like, God doesn't care about that, it's gonna heal on its own. I remember uh, a young girl got a, a big burn on her arm. Big burn, it was just a surface burn, it wasn't a big deal, it was gonna heal within a week or so because you're, so you're kind of like, okay, that's just like a little meaningless thing, we don't need to pray for that, right? It's just a small thing. For some reason, we decided to pray, and I literally watched as this burn on her arm just disappeared. Why does God do that? Why would he bother with us? Because he's good. Because he's really good. So uh, a men's group, a men's event, uh, I think last fall or last spring with the plant, and uh, we, were, we were out with a bunch of guys at the Mawa Bar and Grill. And this guy had, um, Chris Lambrix, he plays guitar here sometimes. He, had, uh, do, he does uh, judo, jiu-jitsu, taekwondo. I get them mixed up, which one he does. He, he had had a really, really bad back injury, like to the point where he, someone had to like lower him out of his truck to like get out of the truck and stuff. Like he, he could not walk. And, and he's, he's like hobbling around at this men's event, like half on crutches, kind of just barely making it. And, and we were like, has anyone prayed for you? And he's like, it's gonna heal. Like, don't worry about it, right? Like God doesn't wanna, it's just a little thing. Just a little thing. It's always the little things. We're like, I'm not gonna bother God with that, right? All right, well, let's just pray for you real quick. We put his hand and put our hands on his back. There are three of us. And this guy, this guy is not a part of our church. Was there praying? He's like, "All right, I guess I'm joining this prayer thing." He, he was new to this whole thing, and we just started praying. And like immediately, this guy's back was better. Chris's back, Chris Lambrick's back was better. <laughs> and we're, I won't use the exact word he used because this is being recorded, and we don't want an expletive thing on our our podcast feed. Uh, but this new guy to church is like. God, the Holy Spirit's presence was all over Chris's back as he was being healed. It was, it was like literally hot to touch. And, and so he just like puts his hand and he goes like that. And then he's like, holy, and you can fill in the rest. But uh, he, he was freaked out. I was freaked out. It was like, whoa, what is that? Why does God do that? Why bother? Because he's good. Why bother sending Jesus, God in the flesh? Because he's good. Why bother making a way through his death and resurrection for us to be near to the Father again? Because he's good. Why did he create human beings and give existence to us in the first place? You ever think about that? Like you get to live because God said, I want to make people. This will be great. Why? Because he's good. I want to say this again too. And then we're going to close. I'm not going to do my second point this morning. I'm going to leave it here. We don't have time. But I want to say this. On that, God's so good, he created you to exist. 
any of you ever have the lie going through your head that it'd be better off that I wasn't born? What's the point? This is useless. I, I wanna tell you right now, you are here because God said, it's good that you exist. I made you. Don't tell me what the, the circumstances are, the, the, the stuff you're going through. Not that he doesn't care. He wants to hear it. But he says to you today, you are good. It is good that you exist. I want you here. God wants you here today. Not just in this room, but just on this planet. He wants you here because he's good. Very quickly, we're gonna, we're gonna close and, and take communion in just a moment. But I wanna leave you with something. We didn't really get to the embodying the goodness. I, I spent a little extra time on this just because it seemed like that's what needed to land today. But I wanna bring us back to this question. How do you think of God? Do you think of him as good? Is he the cosmic killjoy? Is he angry at you? Is he kind of like you're waiting for the other shoe to drop? He's like, you're doing okay now, but just don't screw up. I'm watching you. What comes to mind when you think of God? It's the most important thing about you. Because if you believe he's good, I want to tell you, those stories that are sh I shared are just the tip of the iceberg. There is so much goodness that God wants to pour out on each and every one of you. And when you receive that goodness, when you let the Holy Spirit fill you with that goodness, you can't help but start enjoying diffusing that goodness, changing the temperature of places you're in. Tell you one story about goodness in action. There's a story about a, uh, we can close in worship, John, if you wanna come up. This one story to close. There's a small town story, a, a, a town drunk. And uh, everyone knew who the guy was. You know, he'd fall asleep wherever, drank too much. He'd had a lot of hard problems. Life had gotten to him and alcohol had been his way of trying to cope. One day he, he had a, a kind of a rough altercation with the mayor of this small town. The, the town drunk kind of shoved, shoved him around, roughed him up a bit, cursed him out kind of went on his way. And people around us, they loved the mayor. The mayor was so well-respected. He was such a generous, generous person. And, and they were all incensed and offended on behalf of the mayor. They were like, oh, aren't you gonna do something? Go get the you know, chief of police. Just put him in jail for the night. Like, teach him a lesson. He's gotta finally learn his lesson. And, and the, the uh, just a little bit of sweet jams for you as we close our time together. And you know what the mayor's response to these people were? He said, oh, don't worry about it. I can afford it. I can afford it. What was he saying? The mayor was actually a, a Christian. And, and he, what he meant by that was he knew that he did not need to live offended towards this man. Hey, what, he wasn't gonna be a doormat for people to just walk over and get pushed around. But in this instance, he knew, I don't need to get worked up over this. He, he knew that it would be a greater demonstration of the goodness of King Jesus to actually not take action. 
to just let it go, to move on. Can we say that about ourselves? Do we know how to embody goodness this way? Do we know how to go out of our way to embody goodness with our our words, our speech, our time, our money? Are we overly intentional towards our our children, no matter what age they are, our spouse, our friends, our neighbors, to to just, just shower them and diffuse over them the gospel just through our words, our time, our speech? simple thoughts of of kindness, words of encouragement. Maybe deeper, offering to pray, seeing God move, show up, whatever it is. What could it take? What could it look like if we really became generous in our lives? Instead of taking the cheap shots with our boss at the office or taking that promotion opportunity that's going to kind of be at someone else's expense and kind of cut them down a bit? What could it look like for goodness to be what you operate out of in that place? Goodness doesn't shy away from conflicts, but it enters them differently. How can we embody goodness to lower the temperature of the world around us? First, we have to receive that goodness from God himself. So will you stand with me as we take communion together? On the night that Jesus was betrayed, hear me, betrayed, he embodied goodness. He took the the bread and he broke it. And he said, this is my body. And it's being broken for you. Take and eat. because he knew we did not have the ability in ourselves to be good. He did this. He said, this is the cup of my blood. My blood is being poured out for the forgiveness of your sins. Enabling a way for us to be washed of our selfish ways and to embody the goodness of Jesus. Take and drink. pray. Father, today I ask that each and every one of us would know your goodness. We would know how close you are, how benevolent you are, how much you really are intentional about every aspect of our life. I just ask the Lord that that we would experience that today. My words can't do that, Jesus, but your presence can. So we ask Jesus that you'd be present to show us your goodness today. Amen. Let's worship together. It was great having you with us today. We do hope that this sermon inspired you to know Christ and make him known. For more sermons and resources, please visit us at theplantchurch.org.